it's Brandi Taylor. Welcome to the Business Beauty Network Podcast, where business meets beauty. It's not just lipstick, it's business. We will share thought-provoking conversations with business and beauty professionals. Our goal is to empower, motivate, and inspire you to take your business to the next level. This episode is brought to you by Creative Hair School of Cosmetology. The Creative Hair School of Cosmetology is a Black-owned family business providing a quality beauty education. This beauty school is located in Flint, Michigan and offers state-approved and accredited programs in cosmetology, aesthetics, manicuring, and natural hair. Creative Hair School and this family team will celebrate 23 years this year in 2021. Check out the school and its programs at creativehairschool.com and embrace the journey with them. Cosmetology classes start monthly. Aesthetics, manicuring, and natural hair programs are offered twice a year. Find out more information at creativehairschool.com. Hey, welcome to the podcast. I am super excited to share today's episode with you. I had an awesome conversation with Mickey Wright. Mickey is a phenomenal cosmetologist. She is a salon business coach. She has over 20 years of experience in the beauty industry, and she's very passionate about educating beauty professionals on the business side of beauty. And we just had so much fun talking. Every time I talk to Mickey, we talk for quite a while because we both are very passionate about the business side of beauty and just really empowering the beauty community overall. I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation I had with her. She has a wealth of knowledge and it was just an awesome time having Mickey on the podcast. But here is a little bit of Mickey's bio. Mickey Wright went from struggling stylist to book solid in months, not years. She later became a salon owner where she trained her stylist to duplicate her success. Fabulous Finishes, her former salon and spa, was named one of the 200 fastest growing salons in the country by Salon Today magazine for three consecutive years. Mickey loves helping hairstylists increase their income and boost salon profits. She is a salon business coach and founder of beautysuperstars.com and continues to share her knowledge to help beauty pros create the clientele, income, and lifestyle they desire with the Beauty Superstars Online Academy. And she also has the Beauty Superstars Talk podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy the interview, and here it goes. Hey, welcome to the podcast. It's your host, Brandy Taylor, and we have an awesome guest today, Mickey Wright. Welcome, Mickey. Hi there, Brandy. Super excited to be here. How super excited to have you. So, Mickey, before we go into all the phenomenal things that you're doing with your business, tell me something about yourself that most people would not know. Well, let's see. I think, well, I'm from Detroit originally, and I love Motown music. And it's like, I know a lot of it that was even out before I was born. <laughs> and I was like, I love to dance to it, sing to it and all of that. And I think um, that it's uh, something that, that comes up like, how do you know that song? <laughs> 
Right. I think there's something about us Detroiters because over the years, my daughter would say to me, you know, all of the songs. Like, how do you even know that? Like, we would be in the store and they would be playing around. And she was like, how do you know that song? (laughs) So I get that. I think it's just the music in us and the Detroit girl. So I'm super excited to have a fellow Detroiter on the line and on the podcast. That's totally awesome. Absolutely. Great, great. So let's get into your story, your beauty story. I know you've been in the industry for well over 20 years. Um, you have, you know, experience as a being a hairstylist and a salon owner. Yeah, tell us about how you got started in the industry and leading up to now. But yeah, tell us a little bit about your, uh, your beauty story, your entrepreneurial journey. Well, mine is an interesting story because I, I actually grew up around the industry. Um, my mom went to cosmetology school when I was about six weeks old, I think. And so obviously I don't remember much of that, but um, <laughs> I was her model as a, as a young like toddler sitting under the dryer with a head full of rollers and, uh, <laughs> and just really, you know, it's like she got out of it for a little while after she had my sister and um, got back in when I was about 12 or so. Um, I always loved fashion and, you know, would go to the hair shows and stuff with her, but that was about the extent of it. Um, and then fast forward, when I was in college, which I always worked um, full-time and went to school part-time, one of the people that I worked with um, liked the way I kept my hair. And she's like, do you think you could do my daughter's hair? And I was like, well, I probably could. And so I, you know, went to do their hair. I think she, well, she had two daughters and it was like a relaxer and cut or trim or what have you. And her husband's just the kind of person that's like, you know, never likes anything. We all know people like that. And when I finished, he was just raving like, oh my God, that's a precision cut and you should just quit your job and, you know, do hair and hang out your shingle. And I'm like, what? You know, <laughs> so I talked to my mom and she's like, well, definitely don't quit your job. You know, don't, don't um, have to come back home or anything. But um, she encouraged me, you know, if I was interested to go to cosmetology school, see if I was actually interested in doing hair, but that even having a license might open a lot of different doors and, I say I kind of fell into it, but then I fell in love with it. So those are my beginnings. <laughs> that's, that's interesting how your mom was a hairstylist and she even went to cosmetology school when you were, you know, a baby, but that's nothing you thought about doing yourself until someone else told you that yes. you should and when you were in college. So it's interesting how that all plays out. Yeah. Yeah. We, we both realized that somehow I had picked up a lot more than either of us realized, you know, when I was growing up, um, my sister next to me, it's like, she, she was always interested in hair and she, you know, braided, you know, when they had like the zillion braids out, she would go to the salon and braid clients and, you know, work in different capacities with the industry. And so I always thought she would go into it. She said she didn't know she was going to go into it either, but, um, but I had none of those kind of signs of <laughs> that I might be going into it. So, yeah. Interesting. So did you go to cosmetology school right away? Um, did you, you know, work with more clients before you decided to go? Or, or did, was that just a, enough of a sign for you to do it? Do so after doing those children's hair and getting that compliment and thinking like, well, maybe this is something that I'm good at. Yeah, I, I pretty much was like, okay, I'm going to explore it. You know, it's, it, it, a lot of my decisions were just kind of almost impetuous, but um, <laughs> it was like, oh, okay. And so let's check it out. And so I did start cosmetology school pretty, pretty quickly thereafter. I was still working part, 
full-time and so I went to school part-time. So I did the evening program, which I know some people are involved with um, evening and Saturdays. And I worked and I saved to be able to finish up by going full-time. So, but yeah, it was pretty quickly that I decided to go ahead and dive in. And then it was pretty quickly that I decided that I loved it. And <laughs> and then like I was actually in Houston at the time, um, living there and going, going to University of Houston and working in the medical center in the dermatology department. So I learned some things there, but decided I wanted to start my career in the Washington DC area. So I literally took my test one day and moved to DC like the next day. So. <laughs> wow, wow. And so once you got to DC and you got licensed, you know, take us along the journey. Did you go and work in a salon or did you assist someone? What was that like? Well, I, I actually, I started temping when I first got there because I didn't have a job. And I know, um, you know, from my mom, like how important it is to choose a salon and kind of stay there and not, you know, salon hop or what have you. So I took my time to really find a place that, you know, I could learn and grow from. I knew I wanted to be a salon owner. So I wanted someone to help me with that phase of the career as well. And so I would stop people on the streets and ask them about their hair. And, you know, I go to those places and interview and one name kept coming up. And so I um, was like, you know, who is this person, Sally? I don't know, even know if it was male or female or what. And so it was a um, great male. And when I finally found the salon and went in, it was just like, oh, it's like, I'm, I'm definitely going to work here. You know, I hadn't even met the owner or anything, but <laughs> the ambiance and everything was just really, really cool, the whole vibe. And so um, I met him and he's like, we have a stylist who's returning and she is going to be needing an assistant soon. And so I was like, okay, perfect. And so, you know, every week I called, you know, it was like, is she ready yet? Is she ready yet? And she's like, no, she's still building up her clientele again. Cause she used to work there before and was rebuilding. And so um, one day he called me and he's like, well, you know, she's still not ready to, for an assistant, but we have a chair available. Um, would you like to have it? And so I, you know, I share that I was kind of young and dumb and I was like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> I have no clients, no friends, family skills, you know, <laughs> all of that. And so I took on a chair and um, it was I still had a part-time job in the morning. So I go in there for most of the day and that worked out well. Um, but then that part-time job in the morning ended and I was not building fast enough. Um, I say I spent my first six months or so in tears, you know, just wondering if I had made the right decision, if I had any talent, if I was going to be able to make this a career. And then, you know, started getting behind on bills and stuff like that. And so it was like, okay, well, I've got to give up my dream and go back and get a real job. And he gave me the opportunity to work part-time, um, you know, evenings and weekends. And um, in my mind, I figured it would take about a year or so to get back into the salon. And in reality, it took me about six months. And so that's one of the things that I share with people as well, that it doesn't have to take forever to build a solid clientele where you can create, you know, the income that you need to take care of yourself and your family. And so it took you six months to really build up your clientele is what you're saying? After the first six months or so <laughs> of the rough, rocky start. Yep. <laughs> and I'm glad you shared that because many stylists go through that. It's, you know, building 
and, you know, trying to figure it out, trying to figure out how to build your clientele, how to get them to come back consistently. So I want to talk to you about that. You know, I know it was a rocky start because you had just really got out of school. You were in a new town, so you didn't know many people. So that can make it a little harder to build. And then you're in this lavish salon and it's like, okay, I'm going to have to get a real job. So, but six months after that, you figured it out. So let's talk about that journey. Like, what were some things that you did to start to build your clientele? And, you know, when did you begin to see these things working? Well, I think one of the things I have to say is that I think mentorship is like so really, really important. And a lot of times, you know, now we've gotten into a lot of salon suites, um, which there's nothing wrong with salon suites. But I think when you come out, it's like having that, that those people or persons around you to kind of help support you to kind of boost your confidence when you need it to, um, I say that, you know, between he, uh, my salon owner, Sally, and my mom, and Judith, who was the receptionist there, it's like they really helped um, keep me going. It's like one of the things, you know, I felt like, you know, he believed in me when I couldn't believe in myself, and that we all need that at certain times. Um, With my mom, of course, she wasn't in the area where I was, but, um, you know, uh, he would give me different clients to do. And, you know, it's like, they were so intimidating. And I know people can relate to that. <laughs> and, you know, it's like, I'd just be literally shaking while I was trying to put their rollers in their hair. It's like, Sally doesn't do it like that. And it's like, oh God, you know, my mom was just like, you're never going to be Sally. You can't do it the way he does it. It's like, you're going to have to, you know, stand in your own self and, you know, let them know it's like, you know, this is the way I need to do it to give you the result or what have you. And so that was really confidence boosting and, you know, making me more sure of myself, because I think sometimes that shows as well to clients, you know, when you're really not feeling that confident. And so um, going into the office, I would do my work, but I would, after I finished any, any work, uh, I was reading the book, Think and Grow Rich, as well as some other books. And So I would literally spend all of my little bit of downtime thinking about, well, okay, how many clients would I need to do a day? What services would they need to get? How much would they need to spend? You know, what kind of clients, what kind of services? And that was like literally my whole thought process when I wasn't doing my job I was getting paid to do. (laughs) And so I think obviously that had a lot to do with it. And, you know, just building my confidence, knowing it's like, okay, I need five people to do on this day or what have you. And, you know, how do I get these five people? Okay, I've got to hand out some flyers. And so I'm shy and, you know, not 100% sure. And I've got to just kind of do it, you know, because I really wanted to be successful with it. So it's interesting that you said you were reading Think and Grow Rich and you started to think about how many people do you need to service and, you know, even kind of figuring out who your client was and all of those things. And I think that is very important for beauty professionals to understand that. And, um, and I, I think it's great that you had someone who poured into you and helped groom you and help you to get your confidence because what we're going to really dive in. Cause I know you really um, teach about, you know, salon suites and everything. But I think that's what's missing if you go directly from beauty school to getting your license to right into a suite is you're missing that 
grooming period where you're learning, you know, and you're looking, seeing how other people do things and you're learning from them. And maybe you omit the things that you don't want to do, right? Right. Right. And building your own style and getting confidence and then stepping out. And so it was interesting. Once you realize how many clients you needed to to uh, meet your income goals and everything. You started passing out cards and things and networking. What were some other things that you did in order to build your clientele? Well, I think, you know, customer service is like really, really key. It always has been. I think we've kind of gotten away from it, you know, like say, you know, pre-2019 or what have you, um, because we've just been in this kind of run and gun kind of mode. A lot of people have you know, done the, you know, sit people around the salon and have them waiting and, you know, a lot of practices that aren't really client focused. And so when I went into that salon, I, you know, wasn't busy. I didn't have clients. And so I literally assisted anybody and everybody in the salon that needed help. And I literally knew all of their clientele's name by, you know, by name, you know, hi, Ms. Jones, hi, Ms. Smith. It's like, I knew them when they were walking in the door. And some of what happened is that some of them started referring me clients instead of referring the clients to their stylist. You know, their stylists were, you know, probably already busy as well. But I found that really like fascinating, like, wow, that's, you know, crazy. But, you know, it's like they were watching me. They were seeing, you know, that I was serious about what I was doing and trying to learn, you know, taking all the time, the downtime that I had to help others and to learn from them, you know, to literally stand there and, you know, watch and, you know, not be in the way, but try to learn as much as possible. And I think you're absolutely right. It's like when you're coming out of school and going right into a suite, you know, there's a lot of things about hair that, you know, obviously someone can teach you some things and the schools teach you some things. Um, And there's a lot about building a really great business and a really great clientele that aren't as, you know, this is the way you do it. This is the part you make. This is the, you know, it's like you learn from other people, from being around other people. And um, one young lady I worked with, we were in the same studio. It's like we had like, um, it was a whole salon, but they were broken into rooms. So there were three of us in there. And, you know, at one point we, we worked across from each other. And so, you know, you have a different perspective when you see a client from across the room versus right on top of their head. And so certain t- things and certain times we would see each other's client, we would see something that's like, well, what if you did that? You know, and it's like, and we were open enough to be able to share. And it's like, oh, okay, I didn't think about that. And so it's like the creativity of what we were doing was enhanced because it was like the synergy of, the the energy of our creativity was just being expanded. Awesome. And it sounds like you were hungry. Like you didn't just come into the salon and say, well, I don't have any clients today. Just stand there. You were a help to everyone that you could provide help for in that salon. And you knew everyone's clients and you showed them that you were an asset and that you, you know, were great at what you did. You have great customer service skills. And I think, Oftentimes, people aren't hungry enough to do that because that's why you got clients because they saw the type of worker that you were. So maybe if they got overbooked, they're like, "Okay, we're going to send Mickey some clients." Right, right, yeah, um, definitely. It's like I, I used to teach on one of the things like what's like the biggest myth in the industry, and that is that someone else, you know, someone else, and I call it like the fairy, you know, <laughs> is going to bring you all the clients that you need, you know, to have this six-figure life that you want. 
and um, and assuming you want it. Some people do, some people don't. But um, you know, salon owners, you know, typically they are there to help you succeed, but they don't have the time or energy or sometimes even the know-how to to get you to where you need to be and where you want to be. It's like each of us is responsible for our own paycheck. Uh, when you say I was hungry, yeah, I was hungry. It's like I had bills to pay. I was on my own. I was responsible for, you know, taking care of myself. And so either I was going to do it in the industry or I was going to have to go back to an office, which was definitely not what I was wanting to do <laughs> at all. And so, yeah, um, sometimes we, you know, are seeing uh, people, you know, younger people and, you know, the generalizations aren't what they need to be. It's like, there's always really hungry people. There's always people who are really excited and motivated about our industry and ready to come into it. It's just kind of sorting through, you know, the, all the coal to find those diamonds and the diamonds in the rough that really want it and um, are willing to take, you know, kind of take responsibility for themselves and make things happen as well as invite things to happen. And so I think there's, um, definitely some things that we need to do, um, you know, getting our kids out working earlier and seeing what it's like to have success in certain areas, because I think there's a certain pride that comes with doing things ourselves. And, you know, in the last, I don't know, 20 years or so, I've seen, you know, a lot of parents that are like, oh, I don't want my kids to go through what I went through and that type of thing. But it's sometimes a disservice you know, mm-hmm. but, yeah, I, I definitely can see that. I think the the generation now is is a little bit cradled a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. And sometimes we do need to push them out and, and let them experience things, let them get a job when they're old enough to work and things yeah. of that nature. So I agree with that for sure. So, you know, you had an awesome journey starting out. You moved to D.C. You're working at this amazing salon, building up your clientele. When did you get to the point where you made that shift to become a salon owner yourself and to help other fellow stylists coming up in the industry? Well, I, I was at that particular salon for about two years and it was super great experience. And I was, Sally was my lifelong mentor, you know, and he's passed away since, but it's like, he's still such a great influence. And kind of once you were in the family, you were in the family. And so I moved to another, another salon um, called the Kelly Harem in the Maryland area. Uh, partly it's like I relocated to an area that was closer there, but it still was accessible to both sides. But they had a, they were one of the only black salons in this, in Silver Spring and the certain area that they were in, in Silver Spring, Maryland. And they had both a barbershop and salon. And so one of my clients took her son to the barbershop there and the owner saw her hair and it was like, who did your hair? It's like, she's got to come meet with me. And it's like, and we met and, you know, everything clicked. And so I, I went to that salon and it was right when I was moving to the area and all of that. And so that was a really good move. And I was there about a year and decided, you know, it was time, you know, about three years in the industry that it was time for me to, to do my own thing. And so I did, I I opened a salon and it was actually an existing salon. So there wasn't things to consider like build out and those types of things, which I experienced later in my career. But, you know, there were different experiences, you know, working with the existing owner. Um, They, you know, had to meet, I had to meet with the, um, 
the building owner, you know, the, the person who owned the building because I was going to be taking over the lease and he wanted to make sure that I was, you know, suitable for it and going to be reliable and all of that. And um, I was, you know, young 20s or what have you. And he was definitely, you know, an older white gentleman. And he had questions for me and this, that, and the other. And it's like, and then I was interviewing him and he was kind of like, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> but it's like, no, it's like, I need to know who you are too. So <laughs> that was a really good experience. And it's like, I had, um, I think we had about three other stylists that worked with me at that salon. Uh, I planned to be there for a while. And I about, I guess, less than a year later, it's like I was, you know, just people started calling and saying they wanted to buy the salon. And I was like, oh, I'm not really interested in selling. But anyway, long story short, I, they ended up kind of making me an offer I couldn't refuse. And so about a year later, I sold that salon. Oh, wow. So <laughs> you, you, uh, sold it pretty quickly. After yeah. three years of being in the industry, you became a salon owner. Within a year, you sold it. Yes. <laughs> okay. So what was your journey like after selling the salon? Did you get another salon or how did you move forward? Well, I, um, I really wasn't sure about where was the perfect fit for me. So I ended up splitting my time between two salons. Uh, some of my colleagues, friends had opened a salon uh, that I worked with at Sally's and that was a little closer to me. And I went back to the Kelly Harem part-time. And so I did that for a little while. Then I went back to the Kelly Harem full-time. All the while I had started, um, I had won a competition. I won the um, the Proud Lady uh, Beauty Show, which unfortunately no longer exists, but I was the grand prize winner of their very first show. And so I got the opportunity from there to do platform work for Bronner Brothers organization. And um, and I worked for them for, I don't know, two or three years maybe. And then I worked for a company called Kink that was great. So I had some really good experiences, but um, Kink um, folded basically. It didn't last that long. And I just kind of felt like I wanted to do my own teaching. And so I was still pretty young, but it's like, you know, they took me through a lot of things to, you know, to kind of vet me and make sure I was ready for the class. And I had to, you know, do outlines and everything laid out for the Bronner organization. And uh, anyway, I started teaching and then I started doing um, videos and that type of thing. It's like I taught um, fabulous finishes, which was a systematic approach to hair design um, to help people with their cutting. And after they got the cut, a lot of times they would get the cut, but then they would um, style it like with their old techniques and it just didn't look fresh and new. Yeah. And so I was known for my finishing for, you know, short hair looks, long hair looks, updos, all of that styling stuff and the foundation is cutting. And so I would lead them through that process and how they could do, you know, great work quickly, um, get clients in and out and not take all day to style them. <laughs> and so I had videos uh, back in the day when we had videos and, um, and so I would work all day. I would travel on the weekends and at night I would go home and address video orders to get those out. <laughs> and so it just was like, if I had my own space, I could have someone to be the receptionist and do the orders so I could actually even go home at night. And so that was the beginnings of my next salon. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it's interesting. Um, you've had an interesting journey and a lot of amazing opportunities. You started teaching even back then at Ronner Brothers, and mm -hmm. that is phenomenal. So you ended up getting another salon at this point. Mm -hmm. Yep. 
it was myself, it was a small salon, it was myself and my assistant who was um, just about to take her license exam. And so she got her license. And so there were the two of us and it just quickly like kind of exploded. You know, people found out I opened a salon. They're like, oh, I wanna work with you. I wanna work with you. And to the point where we had one of those um, carts, you know, the roller carts, you know, and some of them you can put the table thing on it. That was someone's station that was like right next to the shampoo bowl because we were just completely out of space. And so it was like, okay, you've got to do something, um, whether it's reconfiguring something in here with the amount of space that we have, whether it's expanding and and that whole was was a whole journey, I guess you could say, but I ended up being one of the first African-American owners of a full service salon and day spa. So we did a, a big expansion from that, but it truly was rooted in the, the clients that we had and doing surveys and doing, um, you know, our research with our existing clients as well as, you know, potential clients that might come to it, but lots of experiences for sure. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask you, what do you think contributed to your success as you expanded and built the first Black-owned um, spa and salon? Well, one, I think, I mean, I guess there's so many factors, I guess. It's like, you know, one, my love and passion for the industry um, and for just providing a great place for people to have a great experience that Black women need that and deserve that. And, you know, it's always been professionalism, professionalism, you know, even for my mom, it's just always been part of, you know, the experience that I wanted us to have. And as far as um, I worked with, many assistants through the years. It's like I have some teachings that I do on hiring because of my early experiences of having so many different um, assistants that never worked out, you know? <laughs> so it's kind of like a running joke, like what, you know, uh, who's going to be helping Mickey this week, you know? <laughs> and so um, from there, it's like I kind of developed, you know, like how to hire and how to train. And so I had some fabulous assistants at that point, which they probably weren't much different, but I was different. And so definitely in terms of who I chose um, and two of them became what I call my salon daughters. It's like they, one started with me at 15. That was the one I started with when I opened that salon. And then her replacement was 14 when she started with me. And so they're, I'm their other mother. So, <laughs> but, um, but I think I'm demanding, you know, I think that we are going to have a professional operation. It's like they don't start out touching the clients because like the assistant position for me, it's a, a position that you move through. It's like, you're going to be a stylist on the other end. These clients have been with me for, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 years, however many years they've been with me. And I expect that they will be with me going forward. So you're not going to come in and ruin it. So, <laughs> so everybody kind of knows where I stand as far as what it's like to work with me. You know, it's going to be fun where it's going to be professional and you are going to have expectations. And so um, we attracted people who knew me and people who had even one young lady, she attended classes that I taught because I traveled all over the country and she ended up um, meeting and marrying someone from the Maryland area and relocated from Boston. And she's like, I want to work with you. I want to work with you. And so it's like, we didn't have a lot of help wanted kind of signs and that type of thing, but it was really creating an atmosphere that people wanted to work in and knew they were going to grow. And then marketing has always been something that I've been um, pretty passionate about as well. So it's like, 
we're going to get clientele. You know, I'm going to show you how to do this as well. Awesome. So I think everything we go through different seasons for different reasons. And so leading up to your journey now, I know now you're, you're, um, have your podcast and you're teaching sweet owners how to operate businesses. So I really want to dive into how you went, you went from having a very successful spa and salon. I know you had obtained awards and different things of that nature. At what point did you leave that to, to go into coaching and teaching full time? Well, I guess there's kind of a, a, a break in between. It's like I did um, feel like there were some other things, you know, there were things in the salon. It was, you know, it was a lot to, to take care of. And so it was sometimes stressful and that type of thing. And at the same time, I was looking at getting married and having kids and none of those pieces worked out, but it was, you know, <laughs> but they were decisions that I was making in that time. And so it's like, I, I sold slash closed my salon and spa. And, um, and then I went actually into, mortgages and real estate investing and some other things. And then in 97, I think it was, um, after I had not been teaching in the industry or anything for about five years um, that Bronner Brothers awarded me a legend award. And so I was really humbled by it, very much touched. Um, and that someone would remember me from five years ago, you know what I mean? People get out of the industry all the time and it's like, you know, you don't think twice about them or you're like, oh, I wonder what happened to so-and-so. But it's like, so I was really like, wow, like they remember, you know, the contributions that I made. And so, you know, it was just another one of those kind of signs that maybe I'm supposed to do something more in the industry. It kind of always calls me back. And so um, at that point, I was like, I don't want to teach hair. And I was looking at the landscape. There were some really great people who were teaching, you know, people great cutting and great styling and all of those things. But I'm like, nobody's really sharing on how they need to build a clientele, how they need to build a business, how they need to um, create um, income that they can count on. You know, I ask in a lot of my classes through the years, you know, how many of you guys know how much you're going to make next month? And I mean, there might be two hands that go up in a crowd of 100 or 200 people. And everybody else is kind of like, well, maybe, I don't know, I hope, you know, I wish, you know. <laughs> and so I know that there are some systems that we put in place, you know, with my salons and with, you know, even my first experience of trying to get my clientele built up so I could survive and um, stay in the industry. And so I was like, I just want to share those things because I think they're a missing piece in, in the landscape at the time. Great. Let's talk about some of those things, because I I see that to this day that, you know, in the beauty industry, we're, we have some talented people, awesome talent, but they struggle with the business side, building a clientele, understanding their numbers, you know, knowing um, exactly who they serve. And so I want to talk about some of the things that you teach now, if you don't mind sharing a few tips that you, you share with your students. Let's go over some of the things you talked about having systems in place in order to build your clientele. So let's go there. Yeah, well, systems are really important. And we get this, you know, it's like we're creative. So it's like, ooh, who wants a system? Who wants, you know, a ritual or something where it's like, oh, I have to do something. 
But if you are a good hairstylist, you have some good systems in place for hairstyling already. You have your tools in a certain order. You make a parting in a certain section. That's like either you start in the back or you start on the side. And, you, you know, if someone watched you, it's like you do that almost every single time. You know, it's like you have an order. And so with your business, it's really not any different. And system stands for save yourself time, energy, and money. And so you want to put those things in place that will help you do just that. And so something has to be in place for your marketing. Of course, now we're doing a lot of online marketing. And so um, it may be getting help. It may be seeing, you know, how much do I want to be online in terms of the presence there? Are there some things I want to do offline? Are there other things other than social media that are online? Um, and so putting in some of those things in place in terms of any business will die if it doesn't have new business coming in, new clients coming in. Um, and so that's one arm of it. Another arm is your operations. And so you've got to take time, you know, like if you're in a suite or if you're in a salon um, and even as a, a stylist really, but you know, it's like you need some time to kind of work on, you know, how much did you bring in today? How much, you know, went out today? And, you know, what is your booking looking like? What is your booking system looking like? Do you have something in place? Because um, I find a lot of people right now are using text as their way to book their clients. And they've added a whole nother part-time to full-time job with trying to keep up with the text. <laughs> so I'm like, mm -hmm. that system is not working. So <laughs> we need to look at some other options for, um, you know, for booking your clients and getting those things in place. Um, and there's, you know, the banking and all of the different things that go along with being a business owner, which a lot of times we don't think about. But the part we think about is, you know, the, the behind the chair part, you know, what are we going to do there? And we don't even think so much about that. You know, what's the guest experience going to be? You know, how are we going to keep things um, clean and orderly as we go along, and especially right now with all the COVID protocols and just making sure that everything's in place? You know, how do we handle, um, I guess, the tiles would, that would be kind of more in the operations and that type of thing. But sometimes it's during the day, you know, if you've got a washing machine there, who's doing the tiles? When are they getting done? And it's like little things like that, your capes and all of these things. And what's your guest experience like? You know, are they greeted each time? Are they getting a consultation slash mini consultation every single time that they sit in the chair where you're examining the scalp and examining the hair and seeing what's going on? they're down for a certain service. Are you just being an order taker and just saying, oh, okay, we'll do that. Or are you looking at their hair and saying, wait a minute, you know, it's like this hair's gotten a little dark. It's like, why don't we add a few little highlights around the front, you know, the sun's starting to come out, you know, hopefully, you know, we've got <laughs> snow trying to hang around, but, um, <laughs> but starting to get our clients, you know, ready. And it's like, that may be an add on sale for you. It may be you know, when they look in the mirror at the end of their service, it's like, oh my God, this does look so much better. You know, it's like, I love it. And so, you know, all of those types of things, it's like we have to put systems in place to make sure that those things happen on a regular basis. Hey, it's Brandi Taylor, the business coach for beauty professionals. I help beauty pros amplify their business and take more action. I am super excited to share the Beauty Pro Mastermind with you, a group for serious beauty pros who want to find ways to continue to thrive in their business, a safe place for support, accountability, and education. This group is for beauty professionals who are ready for change in their business, understanding that commitment is required to achieve your goals. 
You know you need to make a move, but you're unclear and need an extra push. My mission is to empower beauty professionals and equip them to achieve their goals, bringing beauty and business together through support, education, and business resources. Register today for the Beauty Pro Mastermind at imbrandytaylor.com and just click on Beauty Pro Mastermind. I will also include the details in the show notes. Right, right. You hit on so many things. I think it is very important to have systems in place. And oftentimes, I find the stylists, they don't take the time to work on their business. Like you work in your business, but when do you work on your business? When do you look at your scheduling system and booking and, you know, making sure um, you have the tiles and making sure you you know what's going in and what's coming in and all of those things. And, and so it's very important that we put the right systems in place. But sometimes people are very confused. Um, they get overwhelmed with those things. So what are some things you would recommend for the overwhelmed stylist? <laughs> yeah, well, definitely. You're absolutely right there. It's like the, um, the overwhelm can set in pretty quickly, um, especially if you were kind of already busy and then go into a situation where you have ownership responsibilities. And so one of the things that I've learned kind of along the way, and I'm still feel like I'm in the process of learning is planning. It's like sitting down with a calendar with, you know, I have, I've created some tools and things that I, um, that I like to use because as creative people, a lot of times the systems that are in place were created by people who, you know, think in a linear fashion. It's like they're, you know, your accountants, your bookkeepers, your really super organized people put things together. And then you like try to fit your little square self into the round hole that they've built and it doesn't work. And so I've put together some systems for myself that help me kind of stay on track. But, you know, one would be like just doing a brain dump, you know, take a piece of paper and write down every single thing that's coming to your mind. I got to pick up the laundry. The kids need this for lunch. This is that. And all that stuff that clutters our mind, that makes us feel overwhelmed. And so getting it on paper and then starting to put together, you know, maybe five or six categories of where does this fit? So, okay, this is part of my home life. This is part of the family or self-care or however you want to do it. Um, this is, you know, something that's, you know, in terms of the business, and then you might want to divide out a few little business categories and say, you know, on Mondays, I'm going to work on, you know, my bookkeeping. And one of the first things that I usually recommend for people, I guess, two things. One is to have a set schedule for work, which a lot of times we do not want to do. (laughs) I need that. (laughs) I need it. I'm getting better. I'm getting better. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 easy to let your your business kind of seep into your entire life until it is your entire life. And so putting some boundaries around it, especially with things that involve the clients, because you know, especially when we're newer, we're not maybe not as busy as we want to be. And we feel like if we just accommodate or go in early or stay late or this, that, and the other, that we're gonna build up faster. And every experience that I've had says the opposite. When I say that I'm in the salon from 10 a.m. and I take my last client at six, I'm going to be at the salon at 10 a.m. whether I have a client or not, because that's some of that time you can spend working on your business because you don't have to work in your business at that particular time. And it can feel frustrating and feel scary, like, oh my goodness, how am I going to, you know, pay these bills or what have you. But 
take that time and let's work on some marketing for the week. You know, let's work on some of the things that we need to. Um, and then your client calls, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, I really need to get in at nine. Oh, I'm sorry, I don't start until 10. And either they'll make that space fit, which they usually will. <laughs> if you if that's what you have available, then that's what they're gonna, gonna fit into. Then you start to build up much faster. And, you know, I have what I call the Ferris wheel theory, but really it's kind of looking at your slots. Um, you know, how many slots do you have each day? And that was some of the stuff that I did when I was, you know, back in the office trying to get back into the salon full time. You know, it's like, how many people do I need to do a day? You know, and, and whatever that number is, my job, my real job becomes to fill those spaces. If it's six people I need a day, how do I find six people? Mm-hmm. And what are some ways to get repeat clients? I know a lot of people struggle. Some people will just come get their hair done and they may not come back for a month or two. And so how, what are some ways that you can get your clients coming in more consistently for services? Yeah, well, two things are really, really key and they are our first priority. Um, one is rebooking. And people, it's a, it's something you have to learn how to do. It's not something that necessarily comes naturally, but it's not difficult once you learn how to do it, you know, (laughs) but we need to take that time to have good consultations. And at times I've like, maybe we should change the name of a consultation or whatever it is, but we're not as a whole, as a, as a whole group of hairstylists spending time with our clients, building relationship and finding out about what they like about their hair, what they don't like about their hair, what bad experiences have they had? How often do they like to come into the salon? It's like, you know, and what type of services are they looking to get? And from those types of conversations, we can make professional recommendations. So if we find out that they like to come into the salon maybe once a month or something like that, um, and they might have something that's a little bit more high maintenance in terms of what they want for the salon service that day. Then we have to kind of look at having a conversation. It's like, oh, well, you said you like to come in once a month. It's like with this type of service, it's like, you know, we would need to see you every two weeks. Would that be something that would work for you? And it's really having those kind of conversations where they can say, oh, no, I couldn't, you know, it's like, I don't have the lifestyle to be able to come in every two weeks. I don't have the finances to be able to come in to every two weeks, whatever their feelings are. It's like, you guys can have that conversation. And it's not even that they have to tell you what it is, but no, I don't think that's going to work for me. So, okay, well, with that in mind, let's look at a different style and let's look at definitely getting you set up to come in on that monthly basis. So we can make sure that your hair stays in good condition. So we can make sure that, you know, that you're always looking great instead of, you know, that cycle of where you look really bad and you have the ponytail and then you come in and we do the makeover and then, (laughs) and then you go back to the ponytail. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, if you always want to look great, let's set those appointments up. So you're scheduling that before they leave. I like that because what I train my clients on is really giving your expert advice and positioning yourself as the expert. So like you said something earlier about not just giving them what they want, but actually talking them through 
and giving them suggestions based off of what they need for their hair because everything doesn't work for everybody and you can't just be a people pleaser you got to be an expert at what you do and position yourself in a way to do that and in, in the consultation if I know that you're looking to get a full head of color but you only plan on coming back every six months then as your stylist and an expert in what I do I'm going to let you know that you're going to need to get your hair done more than six months for a full head of color. You're going to need, you know, concentrated treatments and making sure you keep your ends clipped and things like that and making the right recommendations so that you can get them to come back in, you know, um, actually giving them the proper advice and understanding what their needs are, understanding their hair. And then that way you can properly rebook them. I think that's the problem that is happening. A lot of times people are afraid to position themselves as the expert. I want an expert in here. I don't want someone who's like, I don't know. It's up to you. Well, what do you want to do? No, I need a hair expert because <laughs> I've had bad experiences, right? So I want someone who was confident and say, oh no, you don't need color right now. You need to do this. Let's try this. We're going to do a treatment. And if in the and they're doing something that's helping me and they're giving me advice and, and educating me on how to properly take care of my hair. That's someone I want to go to, not someone who's just letting me do any and everything to my hair, not giving me any suggestions or any advice as an expert. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think you just definitely hit the nail on the head. And I think sometimes that transitioning, you know, having that confidence to feel like you are the expert and also having the relationship and conversation skills to have some of those conversations, I think it can be really challenging for a lot of stylists, you know, particularly coming into the industry. Um, a lot of times we are younger coming into the industry. We don't have a lot of experience in the industry, but we also don't have a lot of life experience as well. And and then with the newer generation, it's like they grew up on their phones. So it's like they're used to texting their friends. They're used to posting on social media or what have you versus having a face-to-face -face conversation. And especially when it involves one of the words, no, you know, <laughs> either it's like, no, I don't think that's a good you know, thing for us to do or no, we're absolutely not doing, I'm not doing that, you know? <laughs> um, you know, it's like I had someone coming for, color and she had high lift color and her hair was like almost crumbling while we were talking you know I wasn't even touching it you know <laughs> and she's like oh I'm here for colors like we're not doing any color today <laughs> it's like your hair is literally falling apart but it was just having a conversation with her it's like she usually would go to the salon where she lived on a regular basis but she's been traveling you know her job you know at that time we weren't during COVID but she um, had a job and she was on the run like every week or every other week and she wasn't able to to maintain it so it's like we need a new game plan so that you could be looking good and keep the health of your hair at the same time even though you're not able to maintain the service that you were having and that you really would like to have it's not realistic right now mm -hmm. i think that goes back to like you said a lot of uh, people are starting off in their careers younger and that's why it's okay to work at a established salon get some training before jumping out there. Because I've been to beauty schools talking to students who wanna get a suite soon as they graduate and get their license, or they want to work in a salon um, and 
in the chair on their own as soon as they graduate, but they don't even have an established clientele yet. And so I know you really specialize in teaching um, salon owners about the suite ownership because it's still a, having a suite is still a big responsibility. Um, mm-hmm. it's, and if you're going to take all of that on, there's certain things you need to look at. And then it can be quite expensive, especially when you're building. Right, right. Yeah, one of the things, you know, when you are building is that your income can tend to go up and down. So one thing to consider, um, you know, even going into a regular salon is how are you going to pay your bills at home if your income is up and down? And then when you add on a suite, it's like you are responsible for making that payment every week, whether you had any clients or didn't have any clients. And how are you going to pay that? And how are you going to pay them both? (laughs) and a lot of times we don't think through like looking at the bigger picture it's like oh well it's you know 250 a week it's like I could do that I could pay that but you haven't added in any product cost any marketing cost any education cost any um, cost just to even set up your suite you know like say all of the furnishings are there so you don't have that expense but have you bought towels lately foil lately hair color lately Lightener, it's like all of those things. It's like you can go in and, and rack up a pretty big fortune pretty quickly, <laughs> just trying to get everything stocked up. And so then what we do is we don't stock up. And then a client comes in and says, Oh, I want to get such and such. Oh, well, let me run to the beauty supply. And it's like you can't run your business like that and think that people are going to come back because they came in to get a service and you're unprepared. So I think it's really thinking through like, why do I want to have go into a suite? You mm-hmm. know, what is my reasoning for that? And what do I think it's going to look like? And let's have a conversation about that first, you know, um, because a lot of it is um, sometimes ego driven. Yes. And it's like, oh, well, my teacher said I'm great. And, you know, it's like my clients love me and this, that and the other, but the clients are the school clients. And I've even heard teachers say, it's like, oh, you're so good. They're going to follow you. School clients are not going to follow you. You know, (laughs) they go to the school because they want the school prices. You can't survive or succeed with school pricing, especially in a suite. You know, most of them are pretty, you know, pricey (laughs) Mm -hmm. in terms of being in there. Yes, I've seen people paying like $1,200 a month because it's like maybe 300 or three something a week and they're paying that and they don't even have the clientele to sustain it. I always say like you need to make sure that you're making at least triple your weekly rent before you even decide to go in a suite. And and I think I suggest having a established clientele before you go into a suite. What do you think about those things? Absolutely. It's like you have to have a clientele. I think doing it the other way, it's a lot of pressure because it's like, you're like, I got to make this happen. I got to make it work. And when you gotta, it's like a lot of times things don't work out so well. (laughs) When you're kind of sitting back, oh, I got some money in the bank. You know, I've got this, I've got clients that are coming. And even if you have clients, there's no guarantee they're going to keep coming because, I've been around the business long enough to see it's like there's the folks that are kind of the looky-loos, 
you know, it's like, oh, I was going to her over here, but let me, you know, I just want to go and scope out what's going on with, with this new move or what have you. But I really don't really have any intention of staying with her. And then I'm going to go back and tell all my girls, you know, no, don't worry about going over there. And so I've seen a lot of people that have clients go into either a salon or a salon suite and really not have the clientele that they thought that they had prior to that. So well, I you really have to think about it. That's interesting. So you've seen people, you know, they'll get in a suite and they have clients and then they kind of fall off after a while. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And even sometimes the salon setting is part of it as well, because clients who have enjoyed being in a full service salon where there's usually conversations and all that kind of stuff going on, then there, then it's just like the two of you. So sometimes the conversation changes, the vibe changes, the everything changes. So sometimes it's not even intentional, but it's like, oh, I just don't like it as well as I used to. And we all know people come, you know, we think they come for their hair, but it's like they come for all of the pieces that go along with getting their hair done. So whether it's getting in and out quickly, whether it's the personality of the the stylist, whether it's, you know, the cl other clients that they can bond with, because if you've been doing hair for a little while, you might have, you know, Miss Jones comes at this time, Miss Smith comes at this time, Miss Jackson comes at this time, and they're all used to being in there together and having their little, you know, meetup each every couple of weeks or every month or whatever. It's like, hey, you know, what's been going on with you? How are the kids? And, you know, all those kind of things. And so they miss some of that. <laughs> A lot of times, you know, or sometimes anyway, I won't say a lot, but, but there, there are factors that are beyond you being the greatest hairstylist ever that contribute to, <laughs> to the experience that your guest has. That's interesting insight. I never looked at it like that, but that could be a determining factor. Um, Cause some people are more introverted and so maybe they don't talk as much, but you might like ask the stylist. So you might not be the stylist and talk, but so you might not be talking to your client that much. So it could be a boring experience as for before when you were at the salon, she was like, you know, at this place, they played the certain music and, you know, she got to see this person and that person. And she liked the atmosphere for some people like that they're extroverted. So that's interesting. I never thought about it from that standpoint, but I could see that as well. And so that's why it's key going back to what you were talking about, surveying your clients, mm -hmm. understanding your clientele, and how to service them properly and, and, and understanding as well that the sweet life isn't for everybody and making sure that you're properly prepared before you switch over to that lifestyle for sure. Right, right. Yeah, and that's one of the things too. It's like, it may be the perfect thing for you right now or it may be the perfect thing for you five years from now. You know, it's like everything isn't the right fit for, the, for that particular time. And so it is really looking at you know, your lifestyle and, you know, some of the things that I asked, you know, do you really have enough clients? And then do you have some reserve? Because I, I can't even tell you, I mean, you're a business coach as well. People come and it's like, well, I think I want to open a salon or I think I want to go into a suite. It's like, well, how much money do you have? It's like, we've never heard that business requires some capital, you know? <laughs> oh, I've got like $200. It's like, you don't even have the deposit to get in the suite. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so we really have to look at our industry, you know, and that's one of the things that I'm trying to encourage more of to look at it more as an entrepreneur and 
less, I hate to say less, but less as like, oh, it's just creative and fun and I enjoy doing it. It's like, no, this is a business and this is your livelihood, you know, for most of us, you know, it's like, that's how we're going to feed our families. That's how we're going to, you know, pay our bills and live our life is from what we do behind the chair. Mm-hmm. And just understanding yourself as well, because even while you may be an amazing hairstylist, you mm-hmm. might not be a salon owner. Do you know what I mean by that? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So, so well, you a lot of responsibility. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you well know. And um, a lot of things to keep up with. And sometimes you are that person that just says, I just want to do hair and not think about all of those things. And sometimes, you know, from a, a hiring standpoint, from a salon owner standpoint, sometimes those are your best hairstylists or best, you know, people who are working with you, team members, because they already know what it takes to run the salon. And they're like, like been there, done that, not interested, want to come here, have a great experience and go home. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel about the whole commission thing? Because I recommend stylists when they're coming out of school, that may be the way to go. Because if you're doing a commission, you don't have like the booth rent and you don't have the suite rent and you can build and learn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. People have such a misconception about commission. And, you know, it's like I was actually on a clubhouse earlier today and they were mentioning that. And I don't even know how many times I've heard it. It's like that salon owner is taking half of my money or this, that, and the other. It's like, it's not even your money. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's let's go there first. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's like the salon is supplying everything <laughs> and, and probably including the client that you did that you think is your client and your money. And it's like, no, it's like, there's no other business that you work in. You know, like say you worked at McDonald's or, you know, Burger King or what have you ringing up and you do, you know, X number of dollars on your shift. Do you think half of that's supposed to be yours because you rang it up? You know, it's like, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, no, it's not yours. It's not your money. And it's like, yeah, we provide a personalized service, but it's like, it's not our money. It's the business's money. And even when we have our own salon suite and our own salon, it's not your money. And we stick it right in our pocket and we go to the mall. And it's like, that was the business's money. You know, (laughs) you get, Mm -hmm. you still get a percentage of the business's money, even when you are the business owner. Exactly. It's the same way because whether you like it or not, if you, if you are a suite owner, now you have your suite rent, like you said before, the supplies, the color, all the things you're going to need to keep your business going. And that's something that comes out on a consistent basis. So you don't get to keep a hundred percent of the money then either. So you never really get to keep 100% of the money. So it's, it's all that how you look at it. But I think what it is, is for so long, it's been so much money coming in this industry and people see dollar signs. And so everybody wants to be the boss, mm-hmm. you know, but no one wants to pay the cost to be the boss, right? Exactly. <laughs> so that exactly. is the problem. And so I think when I feel like, honestly, I always recommend if you're just fresh out of school, Go to work at a commission-based salon. Learn what it's like to work with different clients. And then once you build up your clientele, your confidence and your skill, then you can go and do your own thing if you want to. If you want to do a booth rent situation or if you want to do a salon suite situation. But don't jump right into that. You have to crawl before you walk. You need to learn. And commission is a great 
ideal for a lot of people, for that person who maybe just wants to make sure she's getting consistent money right now because she don't want to have to do this and have to do that. She knows she goes in from this time to this time and the clients are provided for her. The marketing is provided for her. Everything's there. She has her station. She does what she does and then she can go home. Some people need that and it's okay if you do. And so there's different situations for different people. So I'm glad that you're teaching those things. And I know we can talk all day about these (laughs) things for sure. But um, tell me a little, like how can people take your trainings? Um, What are you offering right now for the uh, sweet owners? Because I know you teach a lot of classes on these things. Yeah, well, yeah, definitely. I just want to say amen to what you just said. (laughs) Yes, please go into a commission setting and it may not be a bad idea to stay in a commission setting um, because I would venture to say that most, not all, but most salon suites, if you do the numbers on them, you're making that same commission or less, Mm -hmm. to be absolutely honest, because a lot of times we're not charging enough. A lot of times we're not doing enough clients. It's like we're not making, we would be making more over here if in a commission setting than we are over here. And again, even if you're in a commission setting, making sure that the, that you're knowing that you are part of the responsibility for your marketing. It's like you're responsible for your paycheck. So treat it that way and not like, oh, well, they're going to take care of everything. So nope, (laughs) you're going to help take care of everything. So (laughs) make sure you're set. So as far as um, what I have right now, it's like I do have um, a free guide, which you, I think, hinted about. But um, it's um, five ways to um, or five things to know before you open your salon suite. So it really is a guide for anyone who's thinking about doing a salon suite. So whether you're a student or a younger stylist or what have you. And it's actually ideal for people who are actually in a salon suite to kind of go through and check off. It's like, do I have this covered? Do I have that covered? And so that is available at beautysuperstars.com and you can download it for free for right now anyway. And um, and I also have my online academy where it's um, a variety of different um, programs that are available for you. So one that's kind of the signature one is 90 Days to Wow. And it is um, designed to be taken over 90 days. And the reason it's named that is because um, one of my stylists um, came to me, she wrote me, um, this has been a little while ago, but she wrote, and she was really on a teeter-totter. You know, I think people can understand what that roller coaster looks like. It's like one week, it's like, I'm busy, I made some money, you know, you're going, wee, and then... And then the next week you're like crickets, you know, how am I going to pay my car? And she's like, I don't know if I can stay in this industry. I'm just getting so frustrated. And so she asked for help. And it's like, I set her up with getting on that program. And so um, fast forward, um, I think it was six months later, about six months later, she did her numbers and everything. She's like, I cannot believe my business right now. She had gotten 176 new clients in that frame, she went uh, on to have a waiting list of clients for like about six weeks out. And she was just like off on and popping after that, you know, it's like she went on to open salons and she has products. She's still 
working it right now. So, <laughs> but yeah, it really is setting up um, the goals and clarity because the more clear you are, the easier it is to attract the things that you mm -hmm. want. The same things that I was doing with Think and Grow Rich are expanded into several um, different trainings and different exercises for you to do as well for yourself so that you get the clarity about what it is that you want. Because each of us wants something different. And then we go through clients for life. Like, how do you keep those clients coming back again and again and again? And, you know, boosting the relationships is the three hours. So referrals, rebooks, and uh, relationships that we go into. And then the last segment is called Where's Your Money, Honey? And I love um, it. through some, some ways to keep track of, because that's one of the things that makes such a difference. And I did a revised version for 2020 for folks whose finances got off track or were exposed off track from 2020. Um, so that is newly a new addition. And then there's five, um, five things um, or five ways, <laughs> I'm getting all these fives mixed up, but um, five ways to increase your salon sales without double booking, because right now after COVID, we can't do it. And I have people going through that training that are like, I'm making more than I ever have in my business since coming out of COVID. And it's less stressful because I'm going home at night. Um, I'm spending time with my family. And it's like, it really helps you create the lifestyle that you want with that. And, um, and then the hiring piece, that's one of the things that I love to talk about as well. Um, because I had so many challenges with finding that first assistant and having someone to, to be there long term um, that worked well for me, that worked well for them, that worked well for my clients. And so five steps to hiring success is another, uh, I guess you could say. Yeah, that's a big one. A lot of people struggle with that. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's a, a leadership segment um, that actually includes that as well. The Dream Team Academy where you learn how to become a leader because it's like if you want to grow, if you want to scale, it's like you're going to be a leader and we don't get any training for that. So, mm -hmm. yeah. So all of those things are part of my academy. And um, yeah, it's like I do private coaching um, for, you know, some, some, you know, it's kind of limited right now. And I also have a mastermind that will start back up, I think, in July. Um, where it's a 90 day segment, we meet every other week and you work on your goals. So it's for people who've kind of taken all the classes, they know what they do, they want, they know what they're trying to do, but they haven't gotten the results yet. And so it gives you accountability and um, <clears throat> support in ways to boost your confidence and get you into action and taking the right action. Because sometimes we're in action, we're busy, but we're not really taking the steps that we really need to, to get there fastest. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, definitely make sure I have those links and I'll leave all of that in the show notes. And I just want to touch on, because you have a phenomenal podcast yourself. So just tell share a little bit about your podcast as well. Sure. Well, it's Beauty Superstars Talk. And each and every week I get to interview the best and brightest black beauty bosses in the beauty industry. Um, they're all doing amazing things. It's um, usually each month I'll have a topic that we focus on. So right now we're in the midst of hair loss and uh, getting to the root of hair loss and talking about uh, with four fabulous experts about various aspects of why we're losing our hair, what we can do about it, hair replacement, all of those types of things. And for May, we're gonna be focused on looking at our industry. It's like my podcast was actually born 
out of all of the racial tensions that erupted in the country and then spilled into the beauty industry from the George Floyd murder. And as we're meeting today, it's like they've just come back with the verdict, the guilty verdict on all three counts. So we're grateful for that, but it feels a little bittersweet. But um, mm -hmm. for the month of May, we're going to revisit where is the beauty industry in terms of its diversity a year later. And so it will be a very powerful month and uh, very candid, raw conversations and probably quite emotional as well. So awesome. Well, yeah. I'll definitely make sure I leave all of the information in the show notes, but tell everybody how they can uh, find you online and connect with you. Sure. Well, beautysuperstars.com is the uh, best place you can sign up to get notified about the um, the podcasts and the, which are kind of master classes as well. Um, you can um, reach me there. Is all of my things are there, like links there for Facebook and um, Twitter and uh, Instagram. But my Instagram handle is Mickey Wright, and it's just one K. Everyone always likes to give me extra letters, but M I K I W R I G H T. On Facebook, I am at Salon Biz Coach One, um, or you can probably Google my name under there. You know, search for my name and find it as well. M I K I W R I G H T, and you can message me. And we're on Clubhouse as well, so we've got Beauty Superstars um, Club that's on there. So we invite different um, folks to help moderate with us and and have some good conversations on Monday nights. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Mickey. Mickey Wright, everyone. Make sure you follow her and connect with her. And that's all we have for you today. As always, stay great and we are out. Bye. Thanks for tuning in to the Business Beauty Network podcast. Please subscribe and support our podcast. Please share it. Share it with your friends and family. Also, connect with us. We want to hear from you. Leave us comments. Let us know what you're enjoying about the podcast. Also, email us at bbnetworkpodcast at gmail.com. You can also connect with me on Instagram at I am Brandy Taylor and at Exquisite Looks. We're also on Facebook and Twitter at Exquisite Looks. And you can check out my website at exquisitelooks.com. I really hope to hear from you and connect with you soon. Remember that all things are possible if you only believe. Stay great.